0: Matt McInerney, New York Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland
1: Dan Auer, San Francisco
0: It's April 28th, 2013. This is On the Grid, Episode 34. This week on the show, we talk to special guest Tristan Cook from Humans and Design and 99% Invisible. We talk about dark matter and Trojan horses. And we also talk about the new
2: $100 bill in the United States of America.
0: This is on the grid. Let's Let's go. go. Gentlemen, we have a guest this week, Tristan Cook from Humans and Design. You probably know him from ninety-nine percent invisible. Tristan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Tristan is podcasting from the future, because it is tomorrow in Australia. What is the future like?
3: uh the future is uh it's got, it's got a broader accent than you guys we're gonna sound like this tomorrow but australia a bit more advanced so you're like you'll never quite sound like australia because in the future tomorrow we'll still be in the future <laughs>
2: so tristan how much of my money should i invest in bitcoins half of it or all of it
3: and how much are you willing to
0: lose that money well okay <laughs> give the listener a little background on you i gave the the quick background but you're a multifaceted guy
3: yeah yeah i guess i'm a uh, human factors guy, like a human user-centered designer, but um, I write the most thing that most people on this, who are listening to this might know, is I uh, I write a blog called Humans in Design, which Matt actually found me on and wanted to, wrote a piece for, because I've pestered him for ages, but my background is... Uh, anything that is in design that isn't actually designing stuff that's what i do and mainly what i do is creepily watch people so i just sit there and watch people doing stuff and write down (laughs) stuff i really like taking videotapes of strangers someone's gotta do it i guess so I'm, i'm glad it's you So I forced upon you, you guys, to watch this lecture by a guy called Dan Hill, who is a he's a sort of a designer from the UK that's had a multifaceted career, and he's written a book and he's done a lecture about it that's called uh, it's a Dark Matter and Trojan Horses, and it's essentially the whole concept is about how you use design of a thing to create societal change, and the reason why I wanted you guys to listen to it was because I, I listen to your show every single week, and every single week there seems to be some sort of argument between whether design changes. Changes things or just design reflects change, and what Dan Hill argues is that you can use design to change anything from as little as a, a bank to as anything as broad as an entire society. Use an example of designing a building
0: in Helsinki that you, they wanted to kind of change the construction laws for buildings as large as this, so they could start to use timber in the buildings. And one of the reasons they wouldn't use timber previously is because create such a large building out of wood, it catches on fire. Obviously, that's a problem. But that was that's a law that's been written years and years and years ago, where that was going to be a problem. With advances in technology, you can make larger buildings out of timber, and they're not going to be so flammable. You don't have to worry about the whole thing burning down. But one of, the, one of the things that comes out of that is that, of course, in Helsinki, it's all forests. So one of the main exports is, is forestry, is, is timber, wood, and a lot of what that, that goes into right now is paper. But if you can ch- kind of change the landscape, you can change the regulation, you allow more people to, to create larger buildings out of timber, and then you increase Helsinki's export of timber, which raises the economy. All of a sudden, just by creating this building, you've changed the economic output of the entire country.
3: Yeah, and that is like so. In that situation, to help out the listeners orientate or help you guys understand, like the Trojan horse is the building. It's the thing you sneak in there, and the dark matter is the regulate the fire regulations around that. So the idea is you you, you pick a particular thing that you want to change the entire country or with, and you focus a lot of effort on that. So in order of getting to get a fire code change just to build one building, it's just not worth it. But if it changes an entire industry or an entire country, then it be, then suddenly it does become worth it.
2: This is an interesting idea to me. It's kind of like, you know, the chicken and the egg situation meets the butterfly effect. Uh, and, and the one part of it we're talking about is design something that's proactively being put out there consciously to change our environment or is design reflecting the environment that we're in. And I think it's kind of like it just matters how, dig, how far down, down the hole you go, how, how deep you dig. Because I think that, yes, a, a designer that is working on something makes conscious efforts and conscious decisions to put some change into the world. But if you go a level deeper, it's like, well, that person, that entire human being is probably only a product of their environment and their education and everything they've been taught and learned through their life. And so you could say that all the things they choose to do are, in fact, reflections of that culture and that society, which is an interesting idea in the first place. And then the Trojan horse thing is also compelling to me, too. And I'm wondering, I'm, you know, I work mostly in websites and apps and products like that. And I'm always trying to connect things back to, to what I understand. And architecture is not... Truly, what I understand. So I'm trying to figure out how that idea might manifest itself with the web.
0: Well, I think a lot of the Trojan horses we see in in technology are just are not so intentional. It's just the little features. I mean, we talk about pull to refresh all the time. I think that influenced a lot of other behavior and like. Just that function—it's a very functional thing—and then other people see it and they start putting it in all the other apps, and then that also then that later affects the design of of apps moving forward because you don't have to dedicate this space; you can put something else in there. It's not an intentional effect, but it is a small little piece that changed everything afterwards. But I think I think that's where it is. I don't—I can't think of an example though of anyone using that in at least in at least the interface design we're talking about as an intentional beneficial change,
2: yeah, in some ways, I guess almost all of technology is sort of one big Trojan horse where we're trying to make everybody like the common person comfortable trusting the things they usually did in person or in physical space to this new sort of digital frontier. Where it's like, yes, you can have a bank that doesn't have any physical locations that's just on your phone and, you know, in the ether. And you can, you know, trust these services to do these important things in your life. And I think that, you know, every product we build that goes further down that line, every time someone has a transaction through Stripe or something that goes well, that, you know, felt right, or buy something with Square, then we're getting further down that, like, frontier of getting people to sort of trust... This digital landscape
0: isn't the whole point of Square. To some, at some point, to take over healthcare systems. Wait, Wait what? what? <laughs> I don't know if that's just a rumor, but
2: I can't remember exactly who told me that. But I, I have heard that before. That it's basically, you know, they want to get people to trust them first with, you know, banks and account numbers and routing numbers and your credit cards and all that sort of stuff, which is pretty important. And then once they earn that trust and have proven themselves and made themselves into a trustworthy brand, then they're going to try and move on to. Your health records, and to form a centralized structure for for healthcare, uh, which I, I can't remember where the fuck I heard that. Maybe we want to edit this out because it's completely unfounded. Uh, but if that were the case, be it not or be it so, uh, that would be a very interesting
3: case. For- that would be a straight up Trojan horse and an awesome one because the Trojan horse you don't know what's inside it. They like they re rolled it in there,
2: and then inside of it is all of your dental records. <laughs>
3: Yeah. actually the the square's a good idea for a, now we're doing this cross continents about like a trojan horse for uh, for an idea because in australia you can't use square like it does it's you not it's a, it's illegal to to have that payment system so people do peer to peer payments via phones but to have something that you can uh, that you can use to swipe credit cards the reason it doesn't exist in australia is because it's illegal so as soon as one person really pushed square or something like that where you could take uh where you could take take, take a credit card, an individual can take a credit card from another individual in a technological way. That changes the landscape of paying peers in Australia. It just yeah, so you guys might not aware, we might be in the future but we're kind of also in the past. Actually can you explain that a little bit? Why is it illegal? What's the basis of that law? Yeah, I'm not actually sure on exactly what the basis of the law is, but it's got something. To do, it, it is got something to do with the regulation around who is able to purchase machines that do credit card swipes and, and, oh. and store that information. And it's got to do with fraud. In order to be able to, to get a payment system, uh, it has to either be it has to be basically from a bank. So a bank is the one that gets. So when you, I don't know whether how it exists in the states, but every single payment swipe system you see here in Australia, it's got a bank logo. On on it because they provide them with the payment system.
0: So it's it's clearly a law that was written to do some sort of good at a time where this was never predicted. Yeah. But what, what is the translation of that right now? I mean, obviously, people must be pushing for this to a certain degree that people can, I, I don't know, do a pop-up shop or run some sort of small business. How are people taking to this
3: each of the banks are trying to do their own like where you like when you're with a bank you can transfer from one person to another but oh, that it doesn't great. like it, it it doesn't really work because if you're around a dinner table and there's like 10 people from 10 different banks and they all want to pay you just can't do it it just it's just stupid it's a bit like the article matt wrote about like cash being better for that situation so um what happens is you get really what happens is australia a ca- it's cash people paying cash
2: wow it's like brooklyn <laughs> yeah. It's like Brooklyn but it's a whole country. A whole yeah, continent yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. even. And sometimes you get some weird stuff like so I went to a, a cafe that I like, uh, around the place and they have a, like a clothing store at the back and I wanted to buy a jumper off the guy and I'm like, "Oh cool, can I buy this jumper?" And he's he's gone, "Yeah, sure, it's 50 bucks." And I'm like, "Okay. So do you have a credit card that I can pay with?" He's like, "Oh, I don't have a credit card swipe, but I got a MacBook here. If you just want to open that up, you can just transfer me the money right here on my computer." And yeah, I didn't do that cuz that felt weird. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) So I just went away and got 50 bucks out and came, came back. And yeah, so Australia is just the, 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 the cash just is everywhere in Australia. Just that's what people use. My interest in this, in this subject too, is
2: I'm trying to bring it back to something that's practical. It seems like the idea of bringing a Trojan horse into a, a market like this would require, you know, a footprint, the size of something like square or access to, you know, enough infrastructure to build something like a building in Helsinki it seems like it takes a lot of overhead to do these sort of Trojan horses. What's the practical application for somebody that's designing any old app or website or some physical thing? Like how can we incorporate this into everyday lives as designers?
3: Well, I think, I think it for me, it's fundamentally thinking about when something, when you're designing something, not just thinking about like, you know, how it should look and feel and what it should do, but what it should change. So, in, in it when it changes someone's relationship to their money, or changes someone's relationship to a public space, you think fundamentally, what are you trying to change? And then you take the step back from that and say, what are the constraints that with that with are stopping this behaviour happening now? So by using the Trojan horse as an idea to get it to get it in, it gets your mindset away from the physical product which you're developing, and further back into what you're trying to do. So um, I got a little example that I'm like a tiny example I'm trying to get off the ground at the moment, which uh, I've sent photos to. Matt uh, i'm really interested in people's relationship to their money and what they think that money is so what i've, I've done with uh tom I, the guy that i write the blog with we've designed some little stickers that go on credit cards and the idea is that it's a trojan horse idea is that, uh, is that people's relationship to their money is the idea that credit is just is, is digital money they forget it's real money and by using these little stickers that we have uh, on people's cards, the idea is that's it's a little like a mental Trojan horse, which starts to change their behavior. And then lots of tiny different bits of people start changing their behavior and thinking about money differently, therefore leads to a, a broader change.
0: So but the little sticker idea, for example, you put a little sticker on your credit card that says saving for a house or something, right? So every time you look at that credit card, you're thinking about the end goal. You're not necessarily thinking about the kind of fleeting money that you never actually see.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's an interesting idea to me, especially in the, regarding credit cards and money. The, the knowledge that I've always... Like, it seems to me like common knowledge that that is, in fact, the case. Like, cash is real money, and people will swipe their credit cards and not think about it as actual money, which, I mean, there's evidence to that if you look at the state of most people's debt in this country and internationally. Uh, people don't perceive that as real money. But I think maybe you know our generation, maybe a little younger, are starting to perceive that differently. I, one of my really good friends has the exact opposite... You know, mental approach to that, which is that you know, credit cards and debit cards to him, like make that number in his bank account go down, and his money is that number. And when he has paper in his hands, he's like, "This is just, this is just paper. This is free money. It's not affecting that number in the bank. I can do whatever I want with it. It doesn't matter." So if he has cash, he'll just wantonly spend it on whatever it is he you know he wants and thinks about. But before he swipes his credit card, every time before he swipes that, he thinks about his budget and you know what he has you know allotted for this month and all of the actual like you know, budgeting and real money concerns come into play. So I wonder if people that grow up with a credit card before they even have cash, or maybe cash is even a big part of their life, are going to have a much different perception of of how that affects them.
1: I think there's also tools to help that out too. Because I guess when all of us were growing up, there was cash and plastic. The state of being able to manage your plastic at some point was your monthly statement or a really crude online system. The difference today is that the, the tools to be able to help manage all of those, the, the digital currency is so much better. My big example, the thing that really helps me out a lot is Simple's goal feature. My past, I could never actually save something for a real purpose or just save it in general so I had a real savings account. But with that, it, w- it put it into a kind of lens where it said, okay, you wanna be able to save up for this, you're gonna tell me that, and I'm gonna take a little bit every day, and the, the big number that you see is the money that you're allowed to spend, even though you have all this other money that's saved up for these different goals
0: over here. And just being able to frame that helps me save money. I actually think it's a good point about the the ways in which managing our money with a credit card has changed over the years. It's not so much that... The card itself, like the the functionality of the card, hasn't changed since I can even remember applying for like my, my very first debit card. But it was that the only way it was reported to me that how much money I was spending was getting a paper statement in the mail every couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. at that point, I'm, I they like the ability to be in denial about how much money one is spending is very easy. You just think, well, I may have spent a hundred bucks. I may have spent 200 bucks. I don't really know. I don't really see it. But, but at the moment I can see it every single day, every, every moment of every day, if I want to, it's a number I'm very aware of. I think that's, yeah. a, that's, it's more about the interfaces that have been developed around it than it is about the card itself. But it's also about the personality type. Like if you, if you want to be ignorant about the, the card itself, you're you're totally free to do so you don't have to log into your account it's not put in front of your face i i think it's it's something that covers it for people who want to be aware of their finances but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be which i guess is the point of your your sticker right tristan
3: yeah, that is the point of the sticker is to make something uh, – it's the idea about when you do behavior change stuff, it's about motivation, ability, trigger. So unless you have something that triggers you, you, you to think about it, it doesn't matter how good your ability is to save or your motivation to want to save. You need a trigger to stop you spending or to spend differently. You, you can internalize the trigger by – having a you know the goal presented to you every day and watching it on that but if you if you have something that's uh like actually comes up on your phone and tells you that you've spent or tells you not to spend that day actively that's the trigger to the behavior change can we talk about Sim- bank simple a little bit for a while is that all right yeah go yes, for it please. Dan, i think it was you that started you were using bank Simple. i saw it on um twitter and i just wanted to ask what your experience like you mentioned there your experience like what made you, you you use it
1: so i guess the short story of it is that i you know i wasn't really ready to jump ship on banks or anything like that but it was just the idea that something was internet based it was super simple it just seemed appealing so you know when i gave it a shot it actually ended up being something exactly what i needed and all i need is that i need something something that i can do direct deposit to with my paycheck to be able to send out like a you know the scheduled prepaid bill pay stuff for rent and then a debit card to swipe with so you know, in my mindset and I guess in my use case, the simple as a banking system is actually perfect for what I need.
2: Yeah. And I too have been using simple for nine or 10 months now, I think. Uh, and I, I do really enjoy it. And I actually sometimes I struggle i to put that into words to people. Like I'm, people will see the perfectly white credit card and they'll ask, you know, Oh, where's this from? This is, where'd you get this card? It's beautiful. And I'll try to explain, Oh, it's this new kind of bank. It's like, for nerds and it's on the internet and <laughs> soon maybe everyone will have it. But, uh, but what's really different about it, I mean, Matt makes a good point. There's no technical difference. It's the same thing. It's a bank. They hold your money. You can use it whenever you want. Uh, the only yeah. real tangible difference is that the apps look better and the website looks better because it's made by people that care. But the, the really important thing is the context shift. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, credit cards want you to spend as much money as possible They want you to overspend, so you end up paying interest on the money you can't pay back immediately. So that entire ecosystem is designed around the idea that they want you to continue to spend money. And banks are, they want you to have as much money in the bank as possible, kind Hmm. of. But there's also a bunch of weird, like, cross-promotional interbreeding offers with banks. And it's kind of a weird, broken system anyway. And Simple is this, like, beautiful thing where they're just like... We're going to give you control of your money and whether you spend it or not, like, we don't really care. I, I don't even know how they're making money, honestly. I assume the same way banks do. It's mm-hmm. just the, the, the context is totally different in that it's about saving and managing and they don't fuck around with the credit card offers and the cash back and all that bullshit. It's just your money you know save it and spend it as you need to and it's a simplified experience and
0: that's really powerful i think i'm maybe the only person here who doesn't use simple we don't have
3: it in australia
0: either so simple is a bank it's actually holding your money or is it a way to access your money like is the card it's officially done through bancorp but basically
1: there is an established bank brick and mortar that is helping fuel the actual banking mechanics Well, Simple is basically not really just the facade, but I guess the infrastructure that uh, takes all those mechanics and then presents it to you in a way
0: that that you want it. So Simple still is a bank with a nicer interface and less junk mail.
2: Technically, yes. I mean, effectively, Bank Simple is a management layer on top of like the federally backed institutions that are holding your money. But they make it so you don't have to interface with any of those. I think it's like a conglomerate of banks. And many of them, they sort of distribute the money through. They make it so you don't have to interface mm-hmm. with any of that crap at all. You just interface with this nice, you know, simple interface. But the money is, you know, federally insured. Yeah. So if you know whatever goes under, you get your money back or whatever.
3: I think the bank, Simple or simple, simple, what do they call themselves these days? Is the perfect example of you guys were getting your head around how you would have a digital Trojan horse. Like I know this is a big, this is a big thing. Rather than someone designing something small out there, but from what I heard, you guys got it because it seemed like it had a cool interface. That you felt like it was all online, and that was actually quite useful. But then what you found, the reason you found you kept using it wasn't just because it was simple. It's because it. it it did change your relationship to your money and that was something you probably maybe vaguely were aware of before using bank simple but thought might work but that bit of it the, the relationship to your money is the trojan horse bit rather than just the the product like they could have designed a really beautiful simple interface that didn't change your relationship to your money that that was just pretty similar to what it, like to to a really good version of what banks do now but
2: it's not part of me feels like maybe we're at in, in a weird perspective on this because You know, I think about things like the experience of someone interacting with a bank or an app or a website. So I I was like consciously aware of all those things. And I have like a bunch of services out there to try and manage my money. But I, I could totally see how if like you had a kid that was like in high school, instead of getting them, you know, a Discover card, you get them a bank Simple card and they have this app that lets them manage things and set savings goals. I could see how from an early age or from an untainted perspective on money management, It could be an incredibly valuable tool to really give someone a healthy perspective on money, which is something that at least we over here in America, Tristan, do not have in general. (laughs) Reiterating, I think I'm a great example of
1: that because I was that that teenager that couldn't manage his money well, mostly because the management
2: tool wasn't there to help me
1: out. Hey,
0: hey, come on. You're also responsible.
2: Yeah, I know. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you have the money management skills of a 12-year-old so we can get a really good you know insight
0: into yeah. how this app actually hey, works. That's hey, great.
1: <laughs> I do this I do this for you guys, okay?
0: We appreciate I really it. do. So actually what one of the things that's interesting though is that using the the term Trojan horse and and using the, the idea of simple or the example of of simple um yeah, It it somehow implies that there's some sort of evil motivation behind it. Like we're – okay, so we're going to paint the card a a nice matte white. We're going to make everything pretty and then we're going to trick people into managing their money. Is there like – coming from a large – a large group of banks, is there something evil hidden behind this or is this really just okay? And it's just, it's a nice trick to get people to manage their money.
3: Yeah. I think it's just okay in this sense, but yeah, I never really thought about the evil connotation of the Trojan horse before, but it is kind of to slip things by people. Like that's the idea. And it's not necessarily slipping them by necessarily by the users. Like in this case, it's by the users, but for the, you know, well, not for the good of the users, but in a broader sense, if you're doing buildings, it's to slip things by people that would normally stop, um, the change in a regulation for the building in Helsinki or something like that, and that you need to sort of cloak it in it, a bit of cloak and dagger to get it through because it is something different than you would otherwise normally do.
0: I mean, it's just it's the nature of any kind of specifically government organizations that any sort of change in regulation is going to be a huge hassle because these are the people employed to make sure that things don't change. Part of me, I think my biggest hang-up with the whole Trojan horse like
2: ideology and thinking about design that way is that I feel like in the world we live in now, most designers and companies that are designing products, their main goal is to become popular. To become in use. To be something that people are actually using and it's affecting them in some way. And most products never get there. Most products are never popular, they're never used by a huge audience of people. And it seems to me like until you get past that hurdle, the Trojan horse thing is kind of irrelevant. Like if simple is never used by anybody but nerds who think the interface is cool its net effect on the world is going to be extremely negligible. If it gets popular enough that, like, that is the default card that you get your kid when they turn 16, then we're talking about some, you know, real effect. And so I I, I struggle to sort of think about how I can incorporate these, you know, Massive world like shifting tectonic changes into things I'm designing because my I am I'll be lucky if anything I design gets popular enough to affect any number of people, you know.
0: But that's really, I mean, Dan Hill says that very clearly in the lecture like, part of it is the doing and and the effort of getting it done. Like, this is not, I mean, this is the exact opposite of like sitting in a room as a philosopher and kind of writing a book, right? You really just have to go and do some of these massive projects. Even if it's one thing in a, in a larger ecosystem, it still has to be one pretty large thing.
3: Yeah, and the other thing too is it's not actually if Bank Simple succeeds. It's, as an entity, it's whether it changes people's perspective on money so that it's online banking that it is with branchless attached to goals that succeeds. So by having that one thing, that Bank Simple is the, the Trojan horse that slipped in there, then it may well get gobbled up by a bunch of other uh, you know, other banks doing different things or. Another startup that does it, but the concept of changing relations people the, people's relationship to their money that's the Trojan horse. They're not Bank Simple as an entity.
0: Actually, I guess one one of the questions is: Let's say hypothetically, Simple gets bought up by some other con- company. They realize that you know making things nice and pretty is helping to sell the product, but they didn't. They don't really get the point that the goal is for people to learn how to manage their money. Is that equally as effective? Is is that just the point or? Do, do the, do the creators still need to be responsible for the goal?
3: You just blew my mind. <laughs> that is, that is too, too philosophical a question for, uh, uh, for an Australian. We just get our hands dirty, like just paying for gold and like dig coal and shit out here. That's all. <laughs> Dude, it's Australian for philosophy. <laughs> that's not a philosophy. This is a philosophy.
2: <laughs> um, it, no, I, I guess for me, like, yeah, I understand that the simple as it is, he doesn't have to succeed like to thrive and to be a very successful business. It's just that there is so much noise out there, especially when you start talking about digital products and apps and shit like that, that for it to affect people, it has to at least touch them. And there are so many things and so much, you know, white noise that I feel like we interact with a lot of things that would actually really affect us in a a meaningful way. I guess I'm just being really pragmatic. I'm trying to, you know, of all the time I've spent designing things and putting products into the world, I feel like nothing we've made has been, has made enough of an impact, period, that we could have, you know, engineered some sort of Trojan horse into it to to, you know, actually change people's perceptions of
0: something. The alternative is what? You create something that doesn't affect any people and it still still changes their lives. Like it's just part of the territory and it's it's just having the foresight to to build build these little cues in and, and kind of behavioral changes into a product that you're passionate about anyway and you're gonna try to build to be something great. Like I don't think I don't think you would put a little a little Trojan horse into a product that you didn't care about anyway and the whole point was the hidden goal. Like you have to want both things to exist you want to have you want to build the building but you also want to have the the goal within it
3: there's a really good example from australia that i of a trojan horse that might get your head around this it's a it's a thing called was a thing called renew newcastle and newcastle is a town uh on the on the one of australia's oldest towns or cities rather just north of sydney by about two hours on a train and it was just it's 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 city center was just completely just falling apart even all these old beautiful buildings and a guy came Along, um, a guy called Marcus Westbury, who wanted to get people using these buildings, and so what he did was he more or less he found people who, who would want to be using it, so artists and designers and you know startup companies, and asked them why they weren't using the buildings. So why weren't they weren't they leasing these spaces? And it was because you had to sign a five year lease, and no one wanted none of these guys wanted to sign a five year lease because they didn't know whether it would work. So he went through with the city council and changed the way that the city council allows people to do leases, so you can get a six month lease. Or or things like that, you're actually legally allowed to do that. Now he's that changed Newcastle entirely. Um, It's a much much different city now because of that. And even though like he's tried to do this thing called Renew Australia, where he takes that same concept and does it to the rest of Australia. Now he's had okay success in doing that, but there's a whole bunch of other people who have seen the idea and taken it up on it. So there's a whole bunch of art like, where I live now in Melbourne, there's a whole bunch of buildings that were disused that are now being divided in subleases to go to help street artists become real artists. And the same concept continues to emerge. So the, the concept is the Trojan horse, not the, not the, not the project. I,
2: I, I do think that intent is a really important part of this conversation, I, I, my feeling is that anything you design, if it does become, you know, reach your critical mass of, you know, impact that it is affecting a bunch of people, I feel like most of the side effects of that thing you've designed are probably going to be things you did not specifically consider or think about. Like most of the yes. the effects that are going to ripple through the ecosystem and the infrastructure are going to be things you did not plan. So I getting like getting a grip and a handle on, you know, one or two of those things to have some intentional sort of change and shift in things is, is impressive to me because my general feeling is that success is a very hard thing to pin down, especially in products and apps and that sort of thing. And so if you are successful, it's, there's going to be a bunch of like reasons why that you didn't expect and a bunch of other side effects and, and weird stuff. And, and that's one of the fun things about this design to me. Like at the end of the day, design is this thing where it's like you, you take all the knowledge you have and you you do the best you can to solve some problem or to attack some issue and then at the end of the day, there's always a bunch of other stuff that happens that you learn from. And there's this, there's this big conversation that every project is where you do something, something unexpected happens, there's a learning moment, and then you sort of repeat that process, hopefully a better designer
0: for having had that experience. And the thing we're not talking about is that I'm sure that at some point there's going to be the author writing the paper on the, the unintended consequences of Renew Newcastle or the, the timber laws in Helsinki. There's no guarantee that these these little hidden goals are going to actually work or that they're not mm-hmm. going to create some bigger problem, too. Uh, if you if you have some sort of understanding that, that these little agendas can change the larger society around it, then you also have to realize that some of the unintended things you might have put into your project can change the society in a different way that you'd never planned on.
2: Yeah, this actually reminds me of a really interesting story that I read on some blog a while ago. I'll find the link and put it in the show notes. It was about quinoa and how... You know, over the past, you know, four or five years, I guess quinoa has really become very hip and trendy, and all of the, like, health nuts are really into quinoa because it's, you know, a complete grain or whatever and really great to eat, and that caused, like, a huge spike in the quinoa being, you know, eaten in this country, and this article was about how the people that are growing quinoa in these countries in South America uh, no longer have enough quinoa to eat because they're selling all of it to America to import to, like, feed hipsters and dumbo. And so there's like a quinoa shortage in all these places and now people are calling for people to stop eating quinoa, which seems very, very strange to me that that's a solution to that problem is we have to, we should stop eating quinoa because they're exporting too much of it because the price is too high. I I love watching little changes like that, you know, ripple through a community and there's like this quinoa thing and you'd think it'd be a great thing that we're importing a bunch of grain from this country that presumably is, is, you know, worse off than the United States is and that... Now, apparently, the price of quinoa is so high that, like, Joe Schmo farmer in South America, can't afford to buy quinoa
0: for his family or something. This is a classic story. I mean, this is the same as the... Are you familiar with the Creole pig incident in, in United States history and or United States-Haiti relations? No, tell us mm. all about it. In the 80s, the United States is trying to assist Haiti, and they try to assist them by giving American pigs to Haitian farmers. And these are, these are farmers that had been used to raising pigs, and they'd raised native Creole pigs and had been successful in doing so. However, there was an outbreak in swine flu in the Dominican Republic. America feared that this could affect their pork industry, so they began to lead a campaign to exterminate these Creole pigs, the native pigs, and start to replace them with pigs from the United States, knowing that these pigs aren't going to be infected at all. Uh, And so they start to do so, but what they don't realize is the difference between Creole pigs and and bred American pigs is how much food they eat. And what ended up happening is that these American pigs have to eat so much food that the Haitian people were having to feed the pigs over their family and ended up not having enough food to feed their family because of these (laughs) literally American pigs that eat too much. Is there a better symbol for our country than some (laughs) pigs
2: that we give as a gift to some other country that literally eat them out of house and home?
0: But don't you think for every story like that, or there may be there are maybe like 10 times more stories like that than the the projects that had the intended consequences i would imagine that there are
2: yeah I and mean, that's a lot of stuff that we talk about you know in like social design that's that's a big part of the conversation where you get into dealing with communities where you're not a part of that community you're going to some you know other community and trying to you know make some change and design something and more often than not that's what happens you come in with the best of intentions you have some really cool idea that you conceived of in a vacuum and then you drop it into this complex system and shit just goes haywire Uh, and that that's what ends up happening more or less most of the time Uh, and that's kind of like Mm -hmm. it's like a Hippocratic oath to social design which is like first do no harm and if you can not do that that's pretty good but if you actually (laughs) help some people that's even better Uh, we should have we should have an oath for design (laughs)
3: like what the Hippocratic oath but for design
2: yeah first use no trendy words stop it So we've been talking a lot about money. I know that uh, money design is a thing of particular interest to you, Tristan, and uh, we'd be remiss to not talk about the brand spanking new $100 bills that came out here in the U.S. of A, or at least were announced. I'm not sure if they're actually being minted and put into circulation yet. Uh, I think it's safe to say most people find the design of a new bill to be a little bit offensive. Did you uh, did you see this bill across the pond, Tristan?
3: Yeah, I definitely did. And if you've seen what our money looks like, then it just doesn't look offensive to me at all. Our money essentially looks like Monopoly money that's plastic with like little, you know, like little windows through it. So to me, it just looks like it's just money.
2: Yeah, Your money is actually like a plastic, like synthetic material, right? It's not paper. It's some weird, like more durable thing, correct?
3: Yeah, it's like a polymer you can have and you can like you can put it through the washing machine and like you can, you know, if you drop it on the bathroom floor, you could pick it up and wash it off, you know, wash the stains off underneath the tap and take that away. So what do you guys, why do you guys have a problem with your money being changed anyway? Like what's the, I I heard someone people, what what was Andy, you were talking about how ugly you think it is? Well, yeah, so this is
2: my question. I mean, I I think most people are pretty change averse, but you know, money's just money. I don't think people are going to be too careful and precious about it. Uh, I I do think it is super ugly and I I would like to know if you guys think that it's just the design community that's going to be bitching and moaning about this, or if this thing is properly ugly and it's going to be recognized by average people that don't necessarily care about design.
1: My opinion on the bill as it looked right now is almost like if you look on the side of a NASCAR, where there's all the different, like... Uh, what are they call Sponsors? Sponsorships. Yeah, all the different sponsorships. That's what all the security features look like on the dollar, or $100 bills now. Like, there's so much crap that they crammed into it, that it's like, I, I understand it makes it more secure, but it looks
2: ugly. Okay, in defense of the treasury, what could be more American than NASCAR? And <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the design
3: aspect <laughs> that we're going
0: for. <laughs> But, I mean, I guess that is the problem is it's just nobody's considered it from the ground up. It's just every year a thing gets added and then a thing gets added and then a thing gets added and nothing can be removed. I'm mm-hmm. sure, I mean, for the one thing is, like, it's hard to argue with adding new security features. Like, obviously, if they're adding new security features, there must be a problem that they're trying to solve. So that seems like uh, a bit of a challenge. But it does seem weird. I mean, the first weird step was was a couple of years ago when they just started putting, like, giant Helvetica numbers on this, you know, kind of uh old timey engraved looking like engraver's typeface, yeah, classic American legacy, not even design, like artistry. Um, and then all of a sudden the big old Helvetica gets stamped on. And that it seems like that's the kind of aesthetic that's being added to it moving forward. There's not necessarily like care taken into adding to the build design. They're just slapping new things. Like it almost literally looks slapped on there. So I I guess if you're going to complain about anything, that's something you can complain about. But I think realistically, I I don't see people actually noticing. If you're not going to the, the press release page, are you going to pay attention to this?
2: Yeah, I think most people will actually probably just be excited that there is something new. I remember when the new 20s came out, everyone was all excited. There was just a different thing. No one really cared that it was different looking. They were just like, oh, new 20s, cool. That's different.
3: Yeah, I think there's a broader psychological thing here that uh, sort of got mentioned in the the 99% Invisible uh, podcast that I did with Roman Mars. And it's about the idea that American money having this old like even before you redesigned your money it was just crazy it looks crazy it's crazy looking it's not nice to look at (laughs) and it's just not like I'm sorry it's just no no money's nice to look at really but it's just not nice to look at but by being exactly the same for so long time it had this like aura of stability in your money so even so American money has this has more than any other currency an aura of stability and I wonder what happens when you start to fundamentally change the way that american money looks and uh and feels if that starts to erode get the idea that people's head this money that they're looking at isn't actually a thing it's an idea and the idea is is that the government will repay this debt hmm. and and by well, i just wonder whether by changing the design you can actually sort of change that relationship to the way people think about their money
0: no i actually i think changing it would would have pretty drastic consequences um, it actually it reminds me of, of the—it it would be far more drastic than this, but the redesign of the Tropicana packaging when that happened, where people would oh, pass yeah. by it on the sh- shelf and think of it as generic. Even though there, you may be able to add up all the things about it and say, like, well, this is now more legible from a distance. This is—you know, there's more, there's more space around the things that are, are necessary. Like, there's more differentiation between the package because there are different colors and stuff. But it actually—it lost something about the old design that bad or good doesn't matter— people are are passing it passing it up uh because they just don't recognize it the same way they used to and even if it's just they recognize it because it just is what it was and it built up over time and had no actual merit it's still important i think that's the same thing with with the design of currency i mean it could have been it could have been anything when it was originally released in what like 1775 before we were even a country but the fact that it's been that way for so long is just adding to that air of stability. And I think people need that, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And that brings up a whole
2: other episode of 99% Invisible about the authentic version of something versus the like copycat version of something and how that those perceptions get built in people's minds, which is another reason to go listen to Roman's great podcast.
0: Do, what, do you want to expand on that, Andy, though? I, so, I mean, there's a
2: whole really interesting podcast where he talks about Things that are perceived as copycats or as the you know non-original of something, and the the one that sticks out most in my mind is hydrox cookies versus Oreos. Everyone thinks of hydrox cookies as being like knockoff Oreos, They're the other cookie that's also you know chocolate with cream in between, but uh, but hydrox cookies actually existed long before Oreos. A few years before Oreos existed, they were they were the original, and just the way that the product was designed and marketed over the course of its lifetime eventually mm-hmm. relegated hydrox cookies to this weird like copycat. Uh, perception and they give it another couple of examples like that. And I think it's something that Tropicana experienced when they redesigned their packaging, whether it looks good or bad, it wasn't what people were accustomed to. And so it felt like a, a knockoff or felt like a fake of some kind. And so we, we wouldn't want our money to, you know, feel like a fake money or like a you know, imposter money that wasn't real and didn't have this sort of gravitas to it. But to the point of our earlier conversation in the podcast, you know, cash in general is getting phased out, at least in this country. So, you know, maybe those. Maybe the design of the bill is not actually interesting at all when we're talking about the design of money. Maybe we should be talking about the design of these systems and these different you know, ways to manage that change context and these different Trojan horses when it comes to money
3: yeah I think the design of cash is still interesting because there's not going to be cash're not going to be a cashless society for ages, and even when it is almost cashless, the way that you're going to visualize and think about about money is like when you guys think about like what is ten thousand dollars now, you'd think about a stack of hundred dollar bills that's like that is high up to ten thousand dollars <laughs> like that's the way you would think about the money when you start to take that like when you start to show that that can change and that I, and that this hundred dollar bill can change and uh or, or even if you take away the bills altogether, so you know, in fifty years, someone doesn't know what a bill looks like. What are they going to think money is at that point? So, uh, I, I get really, really interested in these small changes in design because I think it, it, they propagate larger effects, like and maybe the unintended effects, like we were talking about earlier on the podcast. I, I don't think of money that way. Really? If you think of ten thousand dollars, what what do you picture in your
2: head? I can't visualize what that would look like. I have no sense of scale or proportion or how much that would actually look like. It's not that's not my visual perception. When I think of ten thousand dollars, I like immediately think of you know that's X months worth of rent or X months worth of groceries. Yes. I think about it in terms that's of like exactly very how practical. That's why I always think about money. Like if I you know work for a day and bill you know eight hours and make you know X amount of money, I'm like oh that's you know this much rent and this much groceries and this much into the retirement account, and it's always. I think about money in like a very practical sense.
0: It kind of reminds me of the way that no matter what language you learn, you're always going to dream in your, your native language like that. I think it's a very interesting way to think of, of money. And the fact that in reality, money is just the, the trust that you have with the people that you have credit with or, or you have bartered with. Um, but we have made very significant efforts to ta- to create some sort of relationship between that and the physical form but I guess what you guys are saying is that you don't even think about it at all that way, which is, I don't know, that sounds weird to me. I I, I don't know if even part of me is like, doesn't totally believe you that you, you give it no physical link. Is, really? No physical link in your mind when you think no, about it? No, I mean, it?
2: most money that passes mm-hmm. through my hands is never, never actually money. Like, I get direct deposit into my bank, and then I pay the yeah. bills from my bank. I never actually touch almost any money except for when I go to the farmer's market. When I go to the farmer's market, i got to mm-hmm. get out cash. That's the only time I touch mm-hmm. physical money. And that's an alien experience to me. I'm much more used to to doing, you know, digital transactions. And when you're doing that, your perceptions of money are very much shaped by what you can do with that money, like what function it performs. At least it is for me. And that maybe that's just, you know, the way my weird ass mind works.
1: No, I'm totally the same way. Like, I, I haven't really had a dependency on real cash in such a long time that I, I don't even think about it anymore. Well, it's actually a huge inconvenience to have to get cash. Well,
0: then do you think it's all that important, The 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 kind of level of gravitas attached with cash but then more importantly trying to build up trust in it in a currency uh to the point where it it it's not even a thought in your mind that that currency could fail like do you do you ever think about that at all or is it just because they're just numbers then they're just numbers that everyone's going to respect
2: well I, that i do actually think about a lot i i have zero trust for banks or the government or any like large institution like for example we just set up retirement accounts through the business for the first time. So the business is to the point now where we can support like its own retirement system. We can like pay into, uh, which is an insane, like thinking about retirement savings is crazy to me because it's like, yes, take this money, put it away for 40 years, 40 years later. I'm going to put all my trust that the American government is still going to be there. The American banks are still going to be there. They're still going to be honoring this system and these rules that you've put in place with a simple IRA. And that I'm, Terribly uncomfortable with like the idea of, you know, putting my money into a system that I don't entirely trust for 40, 40 years is insane to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not really an alternative other than being a crazy person and locking it up under your mattress.
1: Well, even then uh, you, you don't have a guarantee that what's under your mattress is going to be worth
3: anything in 40
1: years. Well, it's not. There's you inflation.
2: Know? You're going to lose a lot of money by putting money under your mattress. It's a terrible idea.
3: Yeah, I think it's really interesting too. I just want to interject there to say that, um, like Dan, you talked about uh, how you you just always spend on cars. You don't even really get out cash much mm-hmm. anymore. And then, and you also talked earlier about how you responded really well to bank symbols design. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to me, maybe the reason you responded really well to bank symbols design was because you needed some sort of mental model that brings like money into the present and and says what it means because you don't see cash nearly as much.
1: Well, no, I totally agree with that, because it really just, um, the perception of it was that there are limits to the things, the the number that is presented to you has limits, and the more that I spend on that, it will proactively tell me that it's either increasing or decreasing. So, yeah, that was absolutely needed,
0: because before that, it was me checking Wells Fargo from time to time to see if that number was still negative or positive. Think about the way that Simple is designed and the way uh, U.S. currency is designed, and they're so completely different. And I, I wonder, is it just that, you know, it, it would seem that the way Simple is designed is that we're trying to have a more honest relationship with our with our money. The way a, mm-hmm. a banknote is designed, actually, no matter what country it is, like even, I've seen Australian currency, I, I yes, it looks like monopoly money to us, but still there are all those little flares and flourishes and uh, uh, details that are meant to imply some sort of um, establishment. And these these simpler interfaces that are pretty straightforward and just giving you the number about what you want. They're not trying to imply that level of establishment. And I wonder if that's uh, either something important that we're missing or something that we never needed. And we always should have just had this more honest relationship, or if that is false and we're actually just covering it up by making it simple. Cause in, in reality, it's not that simple.
2: That's an interesting question because a lot of the complexity in the financial institutions and systems we have in this country is like a weird layer of complexity that's been added on to support like a bunch of middlemen, in my experience. Like, if you don't understand money, then it's very simple. You don't understand it. And then you start to try and learn about things, and it seems very complex. And when you actually do learn about all the things, it's really that there's like all this complexity exists just to like feed the system and just to make it, you know, keep that, maintain the status quo of all that complexity and to like keep all those jobs and markets available uh... And, and really at the root of it money should be a simple thing i mean currency shouldn't be terribly complicated for people to understand and i, I think it's a really interesting problem that simple is tackling to try and like it's, it's really much more than just making a bank that manages your money in a better way like we've touched on because people are interacting less and less with cash and more and more of these interfaces when you're designing an interface, you're actually really designing the way people conceive of and, and have this mental model of their money, which is their their worth, their value, financially speaking, in the world. Uh, that's that's such an interesting problem, and, and that's a really great example of how very subtle changes in the interface, like graphic design things, can really make huge sea changes in, in the world. You know, If you design the interface a little bit differently and put the hierarchy on this number instead of that number, you're going to change the way people interact with with their money, which is a really awesome thing.
0: You know, on, on previous episodes, we've talked about um, the mantra of simplicity, and if it if it always holds true, and it's something that we always strive for. But it is is it always good? And and is there something we're missing by by cutting out the complexity? And in this situation, I wonder if you know, is that simple interface ultimately a good thing because you're getting people to have a more basic understanding of their money that they didn't understand previously? Or is it a bad thing because it's it's in fact dishonest and you'd be much better off with a more complex but honest system with realizing that that number in your bank account isn't actually all necessarily there right now. Like that's being invested so that you they can make money and then give you interest and, and things like that. Like what if what if the goal was to create a more honest understanding of what is actually happening with the money that you're putting into your bank? What's I more think valuable? People
2: would all shit their pants and freak out. I think. No, I think
0: you're. I think you're right. It just. It's. It's a. I think that's a perfect though example of, of asking about the mantra of simplicity. It. It doesn't. I think we align simplicity and honesty too often, and that's not necessarily the case, especially here.
3: No, definitely not. You're right. I, I, I agree completely. Yeah, and, and in 10 years' time, we'll, whatever you guys are talking about, we'll get it in Australia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been On The Grid, episode 34. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, call us, 973-ON-GRID-2, tweet to hashtag ONTHEGRID. If you want to submit a link for us to talk about on the show... On the gridreddit.com if you enjoyed the show please review it on iTunes thanks to Tristan Cook for joining us thanks to Girlfriends for the music thanks to you for listening until next week